was a dressmaker when I was growing up. So my world has always been around fashion, fashion magazines, bolts of fabric all around our living room where she worked. So it's always been a part of my entire world. I realized that I don't want to do anything else. There's absolutely nothing else that I want to do in life other than this one thing. I think I have a point of view. I think I have, you know, something to say. I think I feel it <laughs> as much as I can think about it. It's a natural feeling. It's never forced. My mind does not stop wanting to design something ever. I can be inspired by any shape or any color, any smell very easily. And so since that natural ability to do this is within me, then I can't think of any other reasons why I want to do anything else. Miguel Antoine is a luxury menswear designer and successful entrepreneur. I had the opportunity to meet him back in the day when I was accepted into the Black Retail Action Group internship program at Bloomingdale's. Miguel was working tirelessly as a buyer while attending design classes at night and perfecting a business plan that would later grab the attention of a group of investors and lead to the launch of his own design house, Miguel Antoine. Miguel's design talent is immaculate and his tailoring techniques are admired by clients across the globe. Miguel was one of the few black designers that I had ever met who had a brick and mortar store in Soho, hello, and a profitable online direct to consumer business. I mean, the guy is brilliant. <laughs> He's also just an all around amazing person who inspires me to do more yoga and also to tap into my inner Zen. Check out our conversation. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Uh, how are you? It's been ridiculously too long. It's been way too long. Like I was trying to think last night when was the last time that I had actually spoken with you. And I can't come up with the date. I think it's sometime, right? sometime to do around. I know you didn't have a, a child at the time. Um, yeah. Dad. How old is he? Oh my God. So my oldest is four and my youngest is two okay so it's definitely been over four years for sure. yeah it's been wild yeah i think i was in soho uh getting duped you know that 3d um you know they make the 3d figurines and you go in and they like take photos of you like from every angle and i think yeah i was at slate magazine doing a podcast show and i think that was the last time and I was in the neighborhood and I was like, Miguel, are you here? And I, I don't think you were at the time. So it was before that. So it's been so long. Like, how are you doing right now? Like the world is insane. Like how, like, is the store currently open? Like what's going on? Yeah. So I am, um, I am well, thank you for asking. Um, yeah. You know, it's been a crazy year i guess <laughs> yeah COVID started so much but it feels like this entire year has just been a mess um so no i closed the store um when was it this was 2018 so the store has been closed for almost a couple of years now um and mm-hmm. we moved online you know, which was our original plan anyway um, yeah i'm actually very thrilled <laughs> to be out of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean there's so much that comes along with brick and mortar and just to have that headache sort of gone i can only imagine like how relieved you are (laughs) right now (laughs) for that that is crazy so are you in new york right now or or are you like you know in japan somewhere because i know you travel quite a bit summer is over i've officially um (laughs) even accepted that it's gone (laughs) yeah um, you know, preparing for fall, um, excited about fall. Um, it's my favorite time of year. Um, I think New York is really, really gorgeous in the fall. And, um, so I'm excited to to think about the summer and 
and move along and see where the rest of this year is going to end up for us. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I would love, I would love, I mean, your story is just so inspirational to me. You know, I remember just like back in the day, just chatting with you as you're building your business and, um, you know, just the process of, you know, getting it up and running those late nights where you were putting your business plan together, like all of those things were just, it's just amazing to see where you are now, but I'm going to take it even further back. Like, where are you from and where did you grow up? Sure. Yeah. So I, I was born in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. And so I sort of grew up all over Florida, um, you know, Southern Miami, Northern, which is Jacksonville. Uh, I spent some time in Orlando as well. Um, and then from there, I mean, I, I spent, you know, up until I was what 22 when I moved to New York to try fashion. <laughs> wow. Um, yes, I, grew, I, mean, I spent most of my time all over Florida. You know, we were never always in just one one place. Um, so, but most of the time, Southern Florida, you know, Miami, Fort Lauderdale. Yeah. Wow. And like, were you studying there as well? Like, how? Like, what was the transition from Florida to New York? Like? Yeah, so I had gone to um, business school, and um, I realized very quickly that um, I wanted to be in fashion and do something in fashion. And so I, you know, started thinking about where I should go, you know, looking at fashion design schools, you know, here as well as abroad. Um, and, you know, there was an art design school, Institute of Art down in Miami, but I didn't feel as though that was a place that I belonged. You know, I felt like if I wanted to go um, learn and be with, be a part of the best, I had to go to one of those places. And it was very easy to decide on New York. You know, I didn't want to go to Paris. You know, um, I didn't want to go to Italy. You know, I didn't want to be that, way, that far away from home. Um, and so New York was just the obvious, just obvious choice for me. And so... Um, I looked into FIT and into Parsons, um, and I just decided to do it. <laughs> it, was, it was that really is wild. <laughs> I'm, I'm you know, thinking about where I was going to go to actually doing it. You know, I can't remember. You know, it seemed like it just happened overnight. I mean, it's like I um, I I sold everything in my apartment. Wow! <laughs> um, like I did it so fast, and I just you know I had what was left, and I you know rented a new hall and drove myself to New York and yeah. That's, that's what? Yeah. Oh, I know your family was like, uh, what is going on here? Were they supportive? Were they like saying you're crazy? Like what were their feelings about your move? Well, they've always thought that I was a little crazy. <laughs> but always, you know, also, also always really supportive of, you know, my ambitions, you know, um, whatever I wanted to do. So it was no surprise to them that, um, you know, I had made a choice to leave home to go pursue something. And they were, you know, very supportive, you know. I love it. <laughs> very generous. It. Um, and, um, you know, just, you know, gave you that little pep talk, you know. Uh, right? <laughs> Especially black parents. They're like, uh, uh, how much money is in that? <laughs> and where are you going to sleep? <laughs> Basically. Oh, you know, I didn't have an apartment when I went to New York. Um, what? I, did, I didn't. You know, I had a friend that was living in New York. And I stayed in a little seedy little motel. I don't got Long Island and I would... <laughs> get on the train and go into the city every day looking for an apartment. And that took oh me like almost two and a half weeks, up to a month. Um, because that first apartment that I had signed, at least for I signed um, a week before um, 9-11. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. So I had came up to New York, was in a city apartment, I mean, city hotel, looking for an apartment, and signed the lease in the apartment. I had on the roof was in Brooklyn Park Slope. It was a yeah. beautiful view of the World Trade Center um, on the roof. And then I'd gone back home to Florida. And then when I came back, you know, after 9-11, it's just that view was completely different. So that was really strange. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That, that, that's intense. That yeah. is intense. And I'm sure, 
you know, with everything that was going on at that time, your family, friends, everyone was probably a little concerned, like you just moved to the city <laughs> and there's all this chaos happening yeah. in the country. Wow. That's wild. So you're in New York. You finally made it. So like, did you have a job? Were you like, you know, working at a restaurant? Like, how'd you make your money? And how did you like actually transition into the industry? Yeah, so I didn't have a job when I first got here. Um, and that took a little bit of time for me to get a job. And, you know, I, I actually, I also was not even accepted into FIT yet. Um, wow. You know, I just came. I knew I needed to be here. And I, I felt as though in Florida, I couldn't, you know, get things figured out, you know, being that far away. And I'm an on the grounds type of person. So um, being, you know, making the decision to just come without having any of these things set up, you know, that's just part of my personality. I like to, you know, face things, um, you know, right on the ground and get things moving that way. Yeah. Um, so then I took a, you know, any part-time job. I worked in a hair salon. I worked in a spa. Um, you know, I just, you know, I, I worked wherever there was work. And um, I applied to, the interesting thing about FIT, when I applied to FIT, I didn't get in the first time. Wow. <laughs> yeah, which was like, what? Really, yeah, it was really insane to me that I was not accepted into FIT. So um, I had gone down to admissions and um, put up a fight about it. You know, it just, it was unacceptable yeah. to me as to why I was not accepted into the program. Yeah. You know, I felt as though that I had the talent um, and that, you know, I belonged there. Um, so I started taking classes anyway. Are you not going to accept me into the school? I'm going to start taking classes as a non-matriculated student. Wow. So I did that for the first uh, semester and um, I applied again. And this time I was not taking no. <laughs> you're like uh no <laughs> like here's a transcript you know see that i'm serious like <laughs> wow. without your acceptance i'm going to go to this school um and so of course um they accepted me into the, into the program and um yeah and it was it was a great program um i think i think fit is a really good school i think they do a really good job and um in many of the different um, programs that they have there. Um, but I also learned very quickly too, while being at FIT that, and this is probably, you know, in my opinion, anywhere you go to study, is that it's, your experience is what you make of it. Mm. And um, where I felt the programs were great, I also knew that I had a very big entrepreneurial mindset. And so, um, my focus, you know, was in getting as much out of the program as I possibly could along the lines of what my larger ambitions were. I knew that I didn't want to go and work for a company long term. Yeah. Uh, I knew that, you know, um, I wanted to learn both design and business. Um, I didn't want to be pigeonholed into just one category. You know, my mind doesn't really work that way. Uh, I'm sort of like all over the place when I want to learn something or know something. Yeah. And so, um, but it was, it was a great start, a wonderful start. Um, so I left there. Um, well, when I finished FIT, um, I went to work for Bloomingdale's. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that was a great experience too. Um, because one of the great things about working for Bloomingdale's is that, you know, as a buyer is that, you know, we really were empowered, you know, to run our businesses under the structure of a larger organization. Absolutely. Um, and so that, you know, was sort of a taste of, you know, independence and, and being trusted to make decisions and have opinions and um so and I had a, a great boss um, who was a nerd and I was obsessed <laughs> with his brain. And, and um, so, yeah, you know, I, I was just really lucky, lucky in that way um, to really have the opportunity to go to FIT and then, you know, go and learn, you know, on the ground, you know, how, you know, it's done, you know. Um, wow. It's really strange to think about it that now um, because that world has changed so much. Retail is changing so much. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, were you you were in Bragg, right? Yes. You were the you were in the Bragg program. Uh shout out to JJ Thomas. We love you. <laughs> so that's the Black Retail Action Group. <laughs> and um it's a pro a fantastic program that helps, you know, 
black, well, black, brown, I mean, basically people of color um, enter into various fields in retail. And uh, both you and I are Bloomingdale's alum. So much fun. You know, random question. Do you, like, how's your calculator game? Do you still have like a, one of those giant calculators <laughs> that you would take to market? It, it's, they would just start like I always felt like I was doing something when I had my calculator, you know, yeah. the buyer. I was like, oh, I'm the real deal. Do you still have one? Yes, I have two of my best friends. <laughs> I live, I love. So you're at Bloomingdale's. What department were you in? Um, well, so I started in uh, suits and sports, sport, wow. excuse me, sport jackets and suits. Um, then I went into trousers. Um, and then before I left Bloomingdale's, I got promoted to Fine China, which I thought was like the end of my fashion career. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm sure, you know, there are some valuable lessons that you yes, learned. You know, actually, that that ended up being my favorite role. Um, wow. One, because I had a boss that was a complete nerd and, you know, his brain was just really fascinating and I learned a lot from him. Secondly, I was surprised to learn how much fashion there is in fine China, you know, um, uh, which I did not know before, you know, uh, no. uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I remember sitting in a Waterford me meeting one day, um, a showroom appointment and here comes Vera Wang walking in. <laughs> I mean, well, she's the queen of China because, you know, everybody's right. weddings, all of that. Oh right. my God. She wow. Comes in and she's just funky and she has some of these like, uh, really, high-heeled boots and these jeans and yes. very biker chic and i'm like she's selling like wedding plates you know and she's coming here like a badass <laughs> i love it i love it i love her style she's amazing you know i'm curious like you know what were some of the like how did that translate to china like was there an element like what do you think of when it comes to trends with China, like, is it the color sort of like, this is what's happening overall in fashion and it translates into China. Like, like, what is that? Yeah. So I, I think that it, it, and to my surprise as well, um, it's a culmination of, I think all of it, you know, they, they, they op operate on seasonal um, structures just as we do in fashion. Um, and then they have their core collections that are always available. And then you have this after sales market because you think about it, you know, um, you have your, 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 your wedding China and say your kid knocks into the cabinet and breaks five plates, you know, yep, yep. you need to replace those. <laughs> I know about that life, unfortunately, <laughs> fortunately, but unfortunately for yeah. my China. <laughs> you need to replace those. Um, so that that huge after sales market and, wow. um, you know, people take it very, very serious. And I guess, you know, one should, you know, it's something that is going to be a part of your family forever. Um, and you're making choices just as you would to buy a gown or a tuxedo. And, um, you know, the showroom appointments were amazing. You know, here we are going to, you know, Waterford, you know, that's doing Vera uh, Wing. And then we go into Rosenthal, who's doing Versace. And, uh, um, you know, so it was just a whole new world that I had never, you know, been a part of before because I, I'm always interested in learning new things after I got over and learning very quickly that it wasn't the end of my fashion career and that it was going to be an, an exciting opportunity. I actually enjoyed being there um, very much. And there's the whole gifting aspect of it and baby. And, and you know, it's just, it's just a whole other world that, you know, and this, that's the great thing about fashion. The reach of fashion itself is just really remarkable. Um, and all these different you know, ways in which it touches people's lives and influences people's lives. Um, and, you know, that was just another experience, you know, me being able to witness that. Amazing. And how did you transition from Bloomingdale's into doing your own fashion line and building your own business? Yeah, so... Um, You're like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> Remember the secret? We were tapping into the secret. I remember. <laughs> very true. Very, very true. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I can say this now. I, I started, you know, I think I started the company long before I even remember starting it. You know, wow. I've always had these ideas on paper, you know, always hashing out a business plan. Um, 
you know, the first plan I wrote myself. Um, you know, I took the time and I wrote it myself. And I actually still have it. I still share it with people. It's, it's really interesting how um, um, accurate a lot of the predictions were in that plan, you know. Wow. Um, I'm very, very proud of that very bold person that I was back then. Um, but no, um, so I think that, you know, I just, it, it came a time to where, you know, it really started setting in in my mind that I needed to go back to what my original plan was, that I wanted to work for myself. And I just started, you know, positioning myself to think about that and to figure out how does one do that? You know, how am I going to do that? I'm in this crazy expensive city. I have a safe job that pays my bills. Um, where are you going to get the money to do this thing? Yeah. <laughs> how are you going to get the money to do this thing? And, you know, what does that look like? And you've never done it before. And you're in New York City and it's expensive. And, you know, all these things running through your head. But I was pretty fearless back then, you know. And not that I'm not now, but I, I do, you know, um, you know, recognize the guts that yeah. that Miguel had, you know. And I think that as we get older, you know, we tend to... Um, try to be a little bit more practical and make sense of things in a more reasonable, responsible way. Not that yeah. I was irresponsible then. I just, I had the, he was just brave. Um, so I started the company, you know, I needed money and I didn't know yeah. how to get money to do it. Um, I didn't have any, you know, products, you know, all I had was sketches and ideas and that really does not translate well. <laughs> no. <laughs> so wait, you, you want me to give you money, but you don't have your product. <laughs> yeah. Oh man! But you know, so I, I started figuring that out. You know, I had the responsibility of my 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 job, my day job, um, which I liked. Um, and so, one of my really good friends who I went to FIT with, um, I hired her. You know, she was um, finishing up her last year at, at, at FIT. Wow. And um, she wanted a part, she was looking for a part time job, ways to make money to pay for school. So I hired her, not a lot of money because I didn't have a lot of money. I had a day job. But I, I hired her for what I could. And what she did for me was she went around and she researched the garment district. You know, I assigned her, you know, a list of factories to go visit, you know, some wow. questions to ask them. You may, you may know Nikki Baez, actually. Oh my, hello. Uh, yes. Hey, Nikki. Oh, love her. Yes, yes. of so, course. Yes. And Nikki Baez is actually the first person who um, worked for me, you know, in a wow. you know, um, temporary part-time capacity. And she went around to the garment district and she found my first factories for me. Wow. Um, and actually, the factory that she found for me, um, I ended up being very, very good friends with the owner. And, you know, he and his wife really helped me along the way to get my company started. So um, Nikki did that. I had, um, you know, hired um, other students, you know, just to do a little research for me. I couldn't do it during the daytime. I didn't have time to, you know, leave the office to go meet with, you know, people in the garment district. Yeah. Um, and then there came a time where... Um, you know, I started looking for money and I could not find money anywhere. I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to do this thing anyway. You know, I'm going to figure out how to do it. And if I go broke, whatever, I can go get another job. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just started, you know, stop shopping for myself and started, you know, putting resources, very little because I didn't have any money, yeah. into making clothes so that I could show people clothes instead of showing people sketches. You know, the sketches, you know, that really doesn't resonate, you know, to nope. people outside the production <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, what does that thing feel like? What is the fabrication made of? You know, so I started doing that. And, you know, when I stayed at Bloomingdale's up until the point to where um, my phone started ringing too much during the daytime, you know, meaning that all the wheels that I had started putting into play um, was getting my phone ringing. And also I had to make calls as well, you know, that I, you know, I had to make decisions that Nikki couldn't make or, you know, anyone else, I had to be there. Um, and then that, then I went to my boss's boss um, because he had assigned me this really big project um, at Bloomingdale's. Um, and I told him that I was ready to go. 
And he said, well, where are you going? And I said, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm like, what? Yeah. Come again? Yeah. And so then um, I got a call from the GM, um, Frank. Oh, Frank. (laughs) Wow. I wonder if Frank is still there. Probably. Such a big wig. So he's like, why are you leaving? I, was like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I it, you know, I, I was lucky to have those teachers at Bloomingdale's because yeah. I was only as good as I was there because of them. You know, they were yeah. really, really remarkable in that way. Brilliant people. Um, and he said to me, "I know you're going to do great." And he says, "If you want to do it, this is the time to do it. You got to do it." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> uh, what <laughs> year was that? Ah, what year was this? Was this two? So I started the company in 2008. So this must have been 2007 ish. Right before the economic downturn. Yeah. yeah. So that was. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So when, when people ask now, like, how are you doing with COVID? I'm like, look, I survived the housing crisis in 2008. Okay. <laughs> that COVID, you know, if it doesn't kill me. <laughs> right. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah, I'm this. But yeah, no, that was a really tough time because you are starting a business with very limited resources. And then you, you, you know, in an industry that um, it is hardly hit by these types of dark downturns as we experience it now with COVID. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was a really again at the time there was no way that I was not going to do it. Just my mind just was in that zone to say you're going to do this and you're going to do it well and yeah. Wow, and I mean clearly it worked. <laughs> you're still in business. You when you first started, I mean I remember you also had women's wear. So you were doing menswear and women's wear. So like what, well, first of all, like when it comes to the brand, how would you describe the person, the man that wears your brand? And then why did you sort of focus on menswear over doing both women's wear and menswear? Yeah. So, you know, the guy, he really is um, an extension of me. You know, Mm -hmm. everything in the collections is what I want in my closet. Um, you know, if, if I don't want to wear it myself, it, it doesn't end up in the, in the collections, um, whatsoever. And, you know, I, I have always been a guy that, um, liked tailoring, you know, mm. and meticulous attention to detail and, you know, pretty much anything, um, that I, that I buy or that I have in my house, you know, just always looking for those, that uniqueness and, um, thoughtfulness and design and that's pretty much a, as a philosophy as what we do you know we're not trying to be you know on trend with anything you yeah know, not very logo driven you know this is not a guy who is interested in wearing what everyone else is wearing on the street you know he has his own sense of identity um very discerning in his taste um appreciates you know um you know great fabrications yeah um, functionality um, and things that he'll, you know, want to pull out of his closet for years to come. You know, you think about, you know, the, our price points, you know, um, for, you know, some of our garments. Uh, you, he's the type of guy that's, you know, buying a jacket and then that's the end of it. You know, he wants to be able to right. buy a jacket for years to come. And that's the way that we design. That's the way we select our textiles. That's the way we design our, our, design our textiles, you know, for that longevity. You know, these are investment pieces. Um, it's not something that's in today and out tomorrow. So, um you know, and I just think that that's pretty much a part of his his world, and you know the way he not only the way he dresses, but you know where he chooses to spend his time, or you know types of food he eats, or how he gets his hair cut. You know, all these different things. You know that he you know utilizes to design design his his life and his identity, um, and so we try to you know be a part of that in the way in which we create the collections. I love it. I absolutely love it. Why did you stop women's wear? I still have my my wool and leather jacket that I'm like obsessed with. Yeah, I still hold on <laughs> to it. Even when I got pregnant, I said, I'm going to get back into this jacket, Dagnabbit. I remember that now. Yes, actually, I do remember. You, you 
Actually, if I remember, you bought it online. You were one of the first though, to shop online. From I'm obsessed. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was just, it really was. I, I had so much fun during the, during the women's collections. Um, but it was, it was during the time that I had opened the store. Um, and while it was a large space, you've been there, it was very difficult to share the space with both men's and women's mm. to tell a story. Wow. Um, you know, no matter how much we try to curate the space to separate the two worlds, not necessarily separate them as far as like them being, you know, right. different, but you know, men shopping in the women's department, men, it, it was, it was complicated. Um, and so I just made the decision that <clears throat> we had to choose. You know, oh my goodness. Though we were, were not, you know, servicing the um, women's wear collections um, as best as we could. And I also thought we were doing disservice to the men's collections because we were limited in our capacity to be able to display the breadth of the collections because we had to share the floor space there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then also it was, you know, a splitting of resources. Yeah. It was really difficult as well. Um, and um so the time came to make the decision and I just made it very, very quickly. Um, and I didn't really look back on it because I just knew that it was the right thing to do. Um, I enjoyed designing the women's collections very, very much, you know. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, just, I like, love it. Everything that I couldn't do in menswear, I could express in women's wear, and that was really, really great. But it became very interesting too because after we, you know, stopped selling um, or designing the women's collections, women's Women still bought a leather jackets and an extra sweater. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, absolutely. I mean, I yeah. keep my eye open because, <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, like, is this going to hit my chest, you know, in the right way? But like your leathers, your, the tailoring, I'm like, wait, I think I could wear this. Yeah. <laughs> so any excuse I can find. And what's so interesting, you know, whenever I talk to any of my colleagues in the industry or just people who love fashion, I'm like, oh, you should check out Miguel Antoine. And one thing that consistently comes up, they're like, oh my God, he has the best leathers. Like you are not, I mean, people are just like Miguel, his leather. Oh my goodness. So like how, like, how do you source, you know, these, these materials like what is your process like you know like i know you're you travel quite a bit like is that a part of the process like where do you find this yeah so um that was one of the things i I learned very early on um when i started the company was that it was difficult to find you know the higher quality fabrications um in america uh, that we are not the producers of that anymore um or haven't been for, for a long time uh, so I, you know, just like with FIT, if, if that's the best place to learn, one of the best places to learn design, that's where I need to be. So I, you know, put that same question in my head again, where who and where are the places that are making the best textiles? Like where are the luxury groups getting those supple butter soft leathers? You know, where do the best wools come from? Where do the best cottons come from? And just doing that research and figuring out where those places were and going there, you know, and that was also it's really remarkable of that Miguel who had the courage to do that as well. Uh-huh. I would just get on a plane and just go to Paris and not know how to speak French, and but I'm going wow. to the best fabrics in the world. Um, so I started doing that, and you know most of our fabrics could still to this day come from you know either Paris, Italy, I mean France, Italy, or uh, Japan. So you get the really luxurious fabrics out of. Um, you know, Europe, uh, and then, you know, those more technically advanced, but also equally luxurious um, textiles coming out of Japan, you know, fabrics that do things, you know, fabrics that wick moisture, you know, fabrics that, um, you know, are inclined to uh, not peel um, last, you know, 200 years, you know, all these innovations coming out of these different places. Uh, So then, you know, Turkey, you know, where, in my opinion, some of the best leathers in the world come from, and not many people really speak on that, Um, but for sure, uh, some of the best leathers in the entire world come from Turkey. Amazing. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, and so along with that, we just said our quality standards are very, very high. And so, you know, we decline, you know, a great, great percentage of, you know, textiles that are, you know, sent to us because we just separate, you know, 
the best from you know what's ordinary and so um and we're very particular about that um in the trims and the buttons and everything you know just the best the best the best makers that can in the world I love that. And I will never forget when we last uh, saw each other, you were just talking about how amazing Japan is in terms of like, you know, finding out what's next in menswear, just how advanced, you know, their their society is uh, as it relates to menswear. Is that still a place where you go for inspiration? Yeah, I'm still very, very inspired by... Um, Japan, um, you know, my first time there, um, I was just blown away. And I, I wasn't there long enough because I had split the trip between Japan and Hong Kong um, mm. for this, the first trip. Um, but I knew I had to go back because it you just can't cover Japan in a week. <laughs> you just you just cannot do it, particularly for the interest that, that we had as far as, you know, you know really... Uh, introducing ourselves to the fashion world there. What was most um, intriguing to me was, you know, you think here in America, we have men's departments inside of, you know, boutiques or department stores. And they're usually an afterthought. They're usually, you know, in the lower level. Yeah. <laughs> smaller than, or on a higher level, you, know, you have to get to that. You can't just walk in there. Uh, you know, or, you know, there's not much square footage dedicated towards them. Yeah. What was fascinating about Tokyo is that you go to, let's say, neighborhoods the size of Soho that are all menswear. What? <laughs> that are all dedicated to menswear. And then think about it. And then you have those types of neighborhoods spread all over the town, you know, and I was like, wow, like, how are we going to ever be able to cover, you know, this amount of men's fashion um, in one trip? And you just can't. You just can't. That There's was no way. Fascinating no. To me. You know, you think, think of Bloomingdale's in New York or Harrods in, um, in London. Um, there's a, a store in Tokyo, Isitan, mm-hmm. about the size of, you know, to Takashimaya's or, <laughs> or, you know, one large Bloomingdale's, all, you know, streetwear, menswear, luxury designer, wow. dedicated to men, like just really, really, really mar- remarkable. And the sense of style on the street is just, you know, your neck will hurt by the end of the day as much as you have to you turn looking. <laughs> oh, that sounds and, like a dream. I love people watching. Yeah. And this was pre, <laughs> this was pre social. So this was pre Instagram. Like what? Facebook was really just, you know, not really a big thing at the time, not in the way that we use it now in fashion. Um, so here it is. There in Tokyo for the first time, no social, just absorbing it all, not distracted by anything. Podcasts are awesome. And I know you love them too, or you wouldn't be here right now. But have you ever thought about starting your own? Don't worry, you don't have to be a techie, but you do need a bit of guidance so you don't make costly mistakes. My name is Sunny, and I've been podcasting for a long time. I've launched more than 15 profitable podcasts, and I'm the founder of the Independent Podcast Network. My online course, How to Launch Your Profitable Podcast in 30 Days, gives you the keys to the five P's of podcasting, which is everything you need to launch and grow a successful podcast. You get unlimited access to more than 35 videos and dozens of handouts. And when you purchase my course, you're also supporting this awesome podcast because they're getting 50% of the money when you use their special link. How cool is that? Let me help you get started with your podcast. Go to podcastsareawesome.com slash fashion. That's podcastsareawesome.com slash fashion. That sounds like a dream. (laughs) (laughs) On my list, going to Tokyo, just to people watch for like, you know, five days. Amazing. So, you know, you, you, 
you have this amazing line, you're building your business. One thing that I love about your Instagram, you guys should follow him. Um, it's pretty fantastic. Um, you, it seems like you're always doing like yoga, like health and wellness is very important to you. Like what is your routine like? How do you like stay mentally balanced? Like, what are you doing? I don't know if I'm mentally balanced. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, he's all, like, you're always like, do it, you know, do a came back from yoga. And I'm like, oh man, like, I need to like get up on it. Like, he's so yeah. centered. So, yoga was something that I, um, I started when I first moved to New York. Um, I was working at a spa. And so being a part of that world, you know, of wellness and fitness and taking care of yourself and pampering yourself, like yoga was something I was introduced to. And I fell in love with it immediately. Um, and I find even now that if a week goes by that I don't do yoga, then I do get in that space where I am off balance. Because what it does for me, um, particularly I practice uh, Bikram yoga, which is a, a hot yoga. Um, and I mean, it's really, really, really hot. And, and honestly, it's the most difficult thing that I do physically. And that exercise has conditioned me to be a lot calmer. Um, things don't, you know, unravel me <laughs> at all. Um, I have a lot of responsibility um, running a company being a designer, um, you know, life itself and those responsibilities. Um, and so this one thing that I found um, that helps me do all the things that I have to do um, is probably just, you know, there's not really any like, um, how do you say it, um, reason other than it feels good to me. Um, and it, yeah. it makes me be better at what I do. Um, it makes me show up better. Hmm. And, um, so I think it's something that I'll do for, for life. <laughs> I love that. For I life. love that. Yeah. Love that. And, you know, you've been in the business for quite some time and you've been very successful. Um, there's so many folks in New York and around the world who want, you know, want to become a designer and have these dreams. Like, do you just from your journey, like, what would you tell them, you know, just in terms of the lessons that you have personally learned going through this? Like, what would you tell them, like the people who are interested in doing this? Yeah, I think that one of the first things I would, I would, um, say is to really know why you're doing it. Hmm. You know, really know why you're choosing this. Um, and what I mean by this is choosing a career as a fashion designer, um, and particularly as a fashion designer entrepreneur. You, know, you really want to know why you're doing it. Um, and it's okay if you don't know, but I would highly recommend you discover why you're doing it before you do it. Um, and I say that to say, I say this to say that it's very difficult being an entrepreneur, um, not only in the work itself, but just in, you know, what it takes out of you. Hmm. Um, you give so much to this thing that's bigger than you um, because you have people working, you know, and collaborating with you as a team and you give so much of yourself to, this thing that you want to utilize to help build everyone, you know, on the team up from. Um, and that takes a lot of um, putting yourself second. Hmm. It takes a lot of, um, there's just a lot of uncertainty. And the pressure and the weight of those responsibilities, you won't always be, um, up to the challenge of fighting for them. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know you're human. You're, yes. <laughs> um, but if you know why you're doing this thing that you've chosen, then you can always circle back to that as a compass. And I've found 
when I and I, I didn't know, you know, why I had chosen this. I just mm. knew I've always loved fashion my entire life, but I didn't know why for a while mm. why I chose chose to do it as an entrepreneur, why I chose to to design clothing, or instead of going to be some other type of entrepreneur. Um, and now that I know that, and now that it's in, you know ingrained into why we do this thing, or then I can always come back to that when those days are good. Um, wow. most, days, most days are good. Most days are pretty good. But then there are stretches of time, you know, where you have to deal with things like right now, you know, how are we dealing with COVID? Yeah. <laughs> you know, how did we deal with the housing crisis in 2008? You know, there are even, like, even simple things like, you know, like your fabrication is stuck in customs. You know, how do you deal with that? And, you know, these, these oh, are... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chinese New Year for some people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you deal with these things? And wow. So, um, well, you know, Miguel, you know, I'm going to have to ask you. Sure. You know, because you mentioned uh, just as you were speaking, uh, talking about your why and knowing that you always loved fashion, but, you know, you weren't sure why, but then you discovered it. <laughs> What is your why and when did you discover your why? Yeah, so, you know, my mother um, was a dressmaker when I was growing up. So my world has always been, you know, around fashion, fashion magazines, you know, bolts of fabric all around our living room, you know, (laughs) where she worked. So it's always been a part of my entire world. Um, I realized that I didn't want to do anything else. Wow. Um, there's absolutely nothing else that I want to do in, in, in life um, other than, than this one thing. Um, I think I have a point of view. I think I have, you know, something to say. I think I, um, I feel it, you know, I feel it <laughs> as much as I can think about it. Um, it's a natural feeling. It's, it's never forced. Um, I can my mind does not stop wanting to design something ever, you know, I can be inspired by any shape or any color, any smell, like, um, very easily. And so since that is that natural ability to do this, um, is within me, then I can't think of any other reasons why I want to do anything else. I love it. I love it. And, you know, this this show is called A Fashion Moment. So what I love to ask people towards the end is what is your favorite fashion moment of all time? It could be personal or professional or both. But, you know, it could be something when you're a child. It could be something in your adult life. Just a moment that was really magical for you. Wow. Thank you're like Vera Wang walking into the meeting, girl. I just told you. It's a world of, you know, it's a, it's a, I like to say, a, a grueling world of excitement. Right. <laughs> um, but so there are so, so many, many moments. If I have to just choose just one, um, it's, I think it was probably the day that I, um, this is going to sound very strange. <laughs> oh, totally. No judgment on this show. We've, we've heard all kinds of things. <laughs> it was very difficult for me to get used to seeing my name on the clothing. Like very difficult for a long time. Um, it was just, it was just a weird feeling to see my name, you know, on the label, on the clothing. Um, and it took some time for me to get used to that. I think the day that we put the sign was being installed on my boutique in Soho. Wow. I think that day would probably be my fashion moment because when the sign went up, that feeling, that insecure feeling that I had about seeing my name on the label wasn't there. And I felt like I had earned the right to be there. And so I would probably say that was my, my fashion moment. Oh, 
you've more than earned that, (laughs) that moment. And, you know, just honestly, it gave me so much joy, whether you were there or not. Even when I just passed by, I'm like, that's Miguel Soar in Soho. I'm like, how many black designers do you know who are actually here? You know, so just whether I see your name in my blazer, my jacket, or if I see it on your website in Soho, anywhere, I am thrilled to see it because you are phenomenal. And I will continue to, you guys should definitely follow his work, check out his website. It's MiguelAntoine.com. Um, follow him on Instagram. Are you on Twitter? <laughs> I have a Twitter page, but I, I haven't figured out Twitter yet. <laughs> no worries. Well, Thank you so much for being on the show. You're absolutely fantastic. I always feel so inspired after talking with you literally about anything. So (laughs) I appreciate it so much. You're awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me for this week of A Fashion Moment. If you like what you hear, we'd love for you to join our community of listeners and spread the word about the show. We also want to hear from you. Share your favorite fashion moments and dream guests with us by sending an audio clip or email to a fashion moment podcast at gmail.com. Or you can tag us on Instagram at a fashion moment and you could be featured on next week's episode. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review and let us know what you think. Until then, see you next time for another fashion moment. Podcast production by Rebecca Rashid and John Taylor Williams. Digital media production by Megan Porras. This recording carries a Creative Commons 4.0 international license. Thanks to Patrick Patrickios for their song, Hot Coffee.